Marcus. I'm sitting here with Sugar Ray Norcia, who I just bumped into and who was kind enough to agree to do a little interview with me. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing well. Sugar Ray was just um, inducted into the Rhode Island, is it Music Hall of Fame? Yes, Rhode Island Music Hall of Fame. Tell me what that experience was like. Wow, it was, it was humbling and it was great. It was uh, not just me, it was my entire band, uh, which is a little bit unusual to have a whole band inducted. But uh, as they were interviewing me on the phone to, and asking me if I would accept, and you know, I didn't have to think twice, it's sure, I'll accept. I mentioned that we're celebrating over 35 years of playing together with the Blue Tones. And there was kind of silence on the other end of the line. Maybe we should in, you know, induct your whole band. That sounds like the right thing to do. Would that be okay with you? I said, absolutely. And so that's how it all came about. Um, it was a wonderful, it was an all-day experience where the, uh, they have a plaque, uh, an exhibit that's maybe 20 feet tall from the ground up to the ceiling. And it's, it was covered with a black sheet, you know, and all the media and the press and fans would press into this. It's a literal hall in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And, and they'd say a story about my life and then have a countdown, you know, five, four, three, and pull the cord, and, you know, it's pretty heavy. Wow. Pull the cord, and there it is. And uh, the exhibit uh, has some of the first, has our first recordings, which are EPs, like 45s. Mm-hmm and they were red in color and purple. And I was with Ronnie Earl at that point. Uh, and all f- old photographs and publicity shots of the band from when we first started, when I actually had hair and I was thin. And it's very interesting. And they tell a story and a biography and, and right up to the present day, you know. It was great. And then we performed. Was it a big crowd? Yeah, it was a big crowd. It was a big place called the Met Cafe in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. And uh, it's not just blues, that's what we have to point out. It's uh, other forms of music. Another guy that was inducted, his name escapes me, but he's uh, won three Grammys for children's music, you know? And then there was uh, another kind of bluegrass band, uh, whatever, it's just, you know, whatever, wherever your accomplishments take you, they recognize you. I, I heard that the cow souls were in there too. Yes. <laughs> Hey, you're right. How long has this been? Do you know how long? Yeah, been? I think this was their fifth year. Could be oh, the okay. sixth, fifth or sixth. I think they have like 85 inductees now, and they plan on having, I mean, they said there's like 200 people on the list, you know, for the future. Because Rhode Island isn't a big state. Oh. And I don't know if it's known for its musicality. I but obviously it, some... I think it is known for its musicality. Okay, if, okay. if you did a little research on it, it's that pocket of the country where there's such wonderful Greg Abadi was another inductee a horn player, he used to play with Ray Charles and all that, from Rhode Island right. uh, actors from movies from Rhode Island, you know really rich source of uh, talent you know, and to explain it I don't know musically, I know that the Newport Jazz Festival oh, in the true. 60s stuff, so that you know, would be huge, that would a, have a major impact. major impact on young artists and to see Holland Wolf and Muddy Waters and uh, Count Basie and all these kind of bands, you know. Did you grow up going to that festival? or? I uh, think I went once, but yeah, it's been around my whole life. Yeah. Wonderful. And, and really brought so many 
so much great music to so many people. Yeah. And then you have Brown University and, and then Boston University, the close, the, the uh, Rhode Island's between New York and Boston. So, I mean, it's a diversity of so much, you know, ethnic people and music just, it comes through the music. Tell me about your childhood in, in, in Rhode Island. What, what's, what was it like growing up in Rhode Island? Rhode Island. People think Rhode Island is a small state. It is the smallest state, but uh, they think it's just a uh, you know congested kind of thing. And uh, no, there's a lot of open space. I live in the woods, uh, literally in the woods. You know, in a cabin with me and my wife and chickens and a garden and that whole thing. So I have two sides to me. You see, I have the side that's on stage and dresses up in hats and all that and and plays blues music and loves it. On the other side, I can't wait to get home and plant potatoes, you know, so. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good balance for me. Uh, but growing up, uh, that's the way I grew up. My uh, grandparents uh, emigrated, from, uh, emigrated from, from Italy, and they bought an 80-acre farm mm-hmm. in uh, not actually Rhode Island. It's right on the border, border of Connecticut and Rhode Island, this little town called Stonington, Connecticut. You could throw a stone and, be, and land in Rhode Island. So, but I was born in Rhode Island. Anyway, they bought this big farm and uh, and had cattle and, and pigs and, you know, all that kind of thing. They were farmers. And I just uh, didn't really see that part of uh, growing up. I was, wasn't born uh, in time to see the, the farm in action, you know. By the time I was born, that was kind of, they were selling off parts of the land or dividing the land between family members, you see. So what I'm getting at is I grew up with my neighbors were aunts. Everybody was an aunt, an uncle, or a cousin. Okay. <laughs> and you never had to walk. You never had to drive to a family gathering. You know, you just walk up the hill, walk over there. The big red farmhouse was still in the middle of all this as the apex. And with the... Uh, seven-tiered gardens and a, and a vineyard, so we made our own wine every year. We had Sunday school in the, in the big red farmhouse every Sunday. Uh, well, a great way to grow up. And how did music come into your life? My dad uh, went into music. Uh, he was a school teacher in the Westerly, uh, Rhode Island uh, school system. So he taught junior high uh, level chorus. He gave private lessons in the voice, singing. Uh, and my, of course, my, and my uncles, you know, were two of my uncles, my mother's brothers, were musicians. One was a fantastic jazz guitarist. The other was a bass player, stand-up bass player. They began playing country music. When I was a little boy, I heard a country band rehearsing down in the basement. And they played more. As I grew up, they transformed into more of a general business jazz band kind of thing. Music all around me. My mother sang uh, with a jazz band. She sang with her brothers. And I remember you telling me your love of country music. Yeah. Why, why blues as opposed to country? Why didn't I go into country? Yeah. yeah. I think a lot has to do with it. One is what I got exposed to growing up. I always bring Duke Robillard and uh, Johnny Nicholas and Roomful of Blues. These are, these are the bands that we're playing every week, every weekend just a few miles from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And the drinking age then was 18, so I'd sneak into the clubs, and I was still about 16 years old. And I would witness uh, 
cleanhead Vincent and Joe Turner being backed up by my buddies, you know. Uh, I always loved country music, but this is what I got exposed to, the blues. It's, it's very similar to me in the way it affects my soul, so. There wasn't anybody playing country. Maybe if there was at that time, you know, at my peers, I'd be doing that. But I, I, I would be broke that way as well because <laughs> as well as well because I like the old style country which I don't think really uh, sells like Willie Nelson says uh, you know uh, sad songs and ballads aren't selling this year <laughs> <laughs> but there's a song that you did which I I think I, I videotaped that um, that had a very country feel to it with uh it was on a um, harmonica card. Um, I'm going to steal your baby. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. What a beautiful song. And to me, that's country. It is kind of country-ish. Yeah. So I got a little bit of that in there. Every once in a while when I'm writing a tune, it's, it leans towards that country thing. Uh, I, I did actually record a, a tribute to, uh, man, Mudcat's brother, Peter, Peter Hi-Fi Ward, did a record. It's country record, and I sang like, most of the songs wow. on it. Bob Wills. I can't, can't believe I couldn't remember Bob Wills. So it's Western Swing. So it has a lot of what I love to do, the horns and the fiddles and the swing element, jazz. So we did a whole record called uh, Hello, Western Swing. Good Goodbye, Liza Jane. Hello, Western Swing. That's the name of the record. It's been a while, Silas. It's taken me a while to remember this. It's way out of the box from what people normally hear me do. If you, if you can check it out sometime, it's yeah, it's fabulous. And the, the uh, pedal steel guitar is, is Remington, uh, uh, the, the guy who wrote Remington Ride, you know, so uh, Herbie Remington. He's the original guy who played with Bob Wells. So that's something I did do in the country vein. And... and and it sneaks up every so often. I mean, you you also sing jazz and... Yeah, I do. I uh, haven't in a while, but I love doing the standards. And uh, I have some excellent players in my area where I live as well that play jazz. Well, I think your voice lends itself to all of that. I mean, just, I yeah. guess it speaks to it, how great a vocalist you are. But, you know, like it's... A, I know you can sing the blues, but I can. It's not that difficult to imagine you singing jazz or yeah, country. Yeah. I uh, I probably could have been a good sax player. I did play sax for a while on my own, you know. Oh. But I, I played vibraphones, you know. I played a little piano, but I, I never did spend the time or have the dedication to uh, to, uh, to really you know hone my craft on those instruments. So I do it through my voice, and because I, I, I hear the melodies. I hear the improv improvisations going on in my head. I don't have the instrument or the horn to do it, but I can do it with my voice. So that's why I like jazz, uh, improvise that way. And in my blues, too. I like melody. I always tell people I like melodic things, so uh, you can get away with being a blues singer and just kind of droning on through a song and not going anywhere with it, and it'd still be effective. But I like to... I like to to play with it and put some melody to it. How has that changed over 35 years? For me? Yeah, like how has your approach to music changed, and especially to blues? I'm not gonna say it's a, it's a, it's a, a bad thing, but I don't think it has changed. I've, okay. <laughs> I've always felt the same way, passionately 
but the execution, the way you might vocalize things, would it be? Yeah. Like if I heard you sing a song that you sang 35 years ago and you sing it tonight, would you approach it the same way? I think. I'd like to think I, uh, it's, I, I do it better. Uh, and what would make it better? Yeah, I know. Way? I was just going to try to explain that. Just the, just the, uh, all the years of experience. If you do anything, you know, mm-hmm. uh, if you're a machinist and you work with a certain machine for years upon years upon years, and it becomes second nature. You know, not thinking about it. You just you do it. You do it well. Same same thing. I don't really think about what I'm going to do, and I go, hmm, that was pretty good. I didn't really have to. I didn't really have to work at uh, you know uh, making it right. It just came out because it's in me. It's coming out. Right. But I do hear tapes once in a while, you know, cassette tapes. We still have them at home. I got boxes of them. Jeez, this is from 1979. Oh, my gosh. You know, my, my voice was higher. But I listened to the execution of the song, and I'm going, I, uh, I had it then, too. You know, it was there then. Well, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> How about the maturity of the band? Because the band has changed a little bit, mm. not a lot. I mean, it's been pretty consistent, but it, it, on stage, you guys are pretty amazing. Like, how? Yeah. At what point did the band get to where you thought it should be? Yeah, it, it just it gets better every night, but uh, probably I, I can't put a number on it. Ten years ago or something, that I just realized I looked around me during the middle of a song and going, "Oh my God!" I mean, I'm really lucky. To, to be here, to be backed up. Uh, how you find that out, too, is to go and play with backup bands, which is a thing I went through f- for years. Mm-hmm. We talked a little earlier. I traveled through Italy, and uh, I traveled through Ireland, and uh, Poland. Uh, I can name probably 10 or 12 countries with local bands from that area who would study my music, right. learn the tunes, and be prepared. And some of them were okay, some better than okay, but absolutely something lacking. Mm-hmm. You know, the, I'm used to my blue tones behind me. And it's, in other words, I'm getting by, but it's not, yeah, yeah. Sp- not really special. And this is, with all due respect to the people I've worked with, uh, you know, you do something for one weekend, then I don't see him again for yeah. three years. It's a little difficult to have that consistency that we have with the blue tones and the telepathy going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you played with one another for 35 years, like when I just think about your rhythm section with Neil and Mudcat, I mean, yeah. they're just locked in, and they've been playing with each other for, I guess, 35 years, would it be correct to say? maybe a little longer that Neil and I have been together the longest because we went to school together oh really so maybe in junior high school we started dabbling you know with his his brother played as well drums too and bass so yeah I mean I was still in junior uh, I was still in school in the school system when I was playing with Neil and I graduated in 1972 so you do the math I've been with Neil a long time. It, you know, you could almost say uh, almost 50 years. Yow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's your first memory of Neil? Let me think. I remember he used to put, be, be a good baseball player. 
He loves his baseball, right? Matter of fact, he went to a game yesterday. Off, he was just walking down the street here off, off of Beale Street, and there was a baseball game going on. And the Redbirds. Yeah. He took his wife down here for a vacation. He takes her to a baseball game. And, I, and we all we were all laughing about it at, at dinner. But you know what? I saw them this morning, and his, she, she had a ball. She loved it. So he was a, a good pitcher in, in school. Right. And... Uh, Oh, he's, a, he's a quiet guy and a great drummer. Got, he's got the shuffle. That's crazy, though. I mean, okay, so here's the thing. You start a band in your teenage years, and you're thinking, let's play music, yeah. and you're friends. Yeah. And, and you just kind of go, let's, let's get a band together and put on a show or whatever. Yeah. At that point, what were your expectations for music? I, I, I didn't know. I knew I wanted to do it. I didn't know if I'd do it for a living. I always got a lot of advice from my uncles who were musicians and mm -hmm. all that, you know, do something else. <laughs> so that's definitely their recommendation. Was, get, you know, get a job with, 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 uh, you know, with uh, health benefits and all that kind of thing. Because music can be, break your heart. And uh, parts of what they said turned out to be true. And parts of what they said, I was like the rebel because they always played you have to play all different kinds of music, is what my uncle told me. You know, you mm -hmm. to, you're going to get requests from the crowd. Do this, do that, do top 40, do, uh, a rock song, uh, or a standard, or a ballad. You know, you, you got to cover all the bases. And I went, what I'm going to cover is the blues. That's what I want to do. So I stuck with that one thing, and they're going, no, you're too focused on one thing. I, I think I was right in that aspect, you know, to do what my heart told me to do. <laughs> Does that mean station break? <laughs> when did that come from? That's sure. my, that was my uh, little message on my phone. Okay, well, it's pretty nice. I, mean, yeah, it kind of, I think it worked out really well. It did. Well. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> so you started, and, and so were there tough times? Like, like they said that you know music would be tough? Like, were there really tough times in, in the band? There always will be. Yeah. But uh, I mean, tough enough mean, to think, why did I do this? Or did you yeah. ever question doing music? Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, I, I'm always glad that I took music up because it's, it, it fills my soul, you know, yeah. with happiness. That's what this world's all about, you know, uh, melodies and harmonies. And the humans are lucky enough to be given a gift to uh, appreciate those th music. Music, mm -hmm. music. Music is given to us by God, you know, and... So I'm taking advantage of that gift. Um, hard times, yeah, especially you know, in the '70s, disco. Uh, no clubs to play at, no appreciation, uh, no money. You know, the same thing's going on right now, in my opinion. You know, some people tell me there's a resurgence and all that. Look, look where we are we're in in Memphis mm -hmm. with uh, thousands of musicians around us it's right. it's great for the moment but i think if you went around you probably have going around asking musicians uh, you know how's how's it going club wise or tour wise it's and that's the answer is tough yeah it's tough i mean i know that festivals are out there but even yeah. they're suffering um you know you just see yeah. a few of them kind of close up shop um the the infrastructure of the clubs seem to be disappearing the audience yeah. seems to be disappearing a little bit. My my audiences now are uh, older people, you know, their uh, grandparents and stuff. 
in a, maybe 60 and beyond. Right. That's my crowd. What, what happened to the people I grew up with? They were there at home on their computers and watching TV and taking care of their grandkids. And, and, and that group of people hasn't really been replaced. So, except for the people who have some money and retired and they come out and they still support us right. and love it. So how do you deal with that? Day to day. It really is a, a week by week, gig by gig, day by day existence, you know, hanging on. Is but, at the way it is? but on the other hand, you've just been inducted to the Hall of Fame. Tonight you're playing in front of thousands of people at the Blues Music Awards. Yeah. You've been nominated for a number of things and have over the years. I mean, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? Because you're, you're getting the respect and, and you're getting the recognition in some ways. But I think I've, I've gotten 24 nominations at the Blues Music Awards Wow. myself. That's not counting, like, you know, Mudcat on the bass or Anthony on This is just me, myself. They but. should name the award after you, then. <laughs> And I took two home, you know, for the, a little Walter tribute I did with Mark Hummel. Uh, my wife made a joke, though, you know, we, we have a piano. There's no room on top of the piano anymore because I have these little statues and these little awards. And, and she goes, you know, but where's the money? <laughs> I said, yeah, I know. I know. That's how it is. So when the disco era came and it was very iffy, when did things change back again where where things playing live was, um, well, how did it change that you could get back and make a living playing live again? Yeah. Well, what helped me was the timing is a big thing in any business, you know, especially music business. Uh, I got the call from Room Full of Blues right around the end of that disco era. Uh, so in 1991, I uh, joined Room Full of Blues for seven years pretty much all of them in the 90s. We worked our butts off in a good way. Yeah. You know, good gigs, packed houses all across the country and the world. Not too much uh, in Europe because it was like 12 guys to buy airline tickets for all together. But we had a bus and, and we'd tour and whether it was a Monday night or a Wednesday night or a Thursday night, eight, the clubs would be lying outside waiting for us. Wonderful. It's the way it should be, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was a good run. What did that experience tell you? What did it teach you? It taught me that I have perseverance. Not just uh, night after night of singing with this blaring horn section and the loudest drummer in the business. I was able to sing night after night <laughs> without hurting myself. That's things I learned from my, my dad and all that, you know, proper placement of your voice and not to overdo it. And he used to tell me, uh, you ever hear a baby scream? I might have told you this. You ever hear a baby scream all through the night? He's screaming at the top of his lungs, and yet he doesn't lose his voice right. because the baby doesn't know better. To, the baby's laying on his back, sing, uh, projecting correctly <laughs> you know so you have to <laughs> learn from the diaphragm yes from the diaphragm too uh but yeah it, it kind of amazed me i was able to sing each and every gig night after night and that's with no sleep and that's you know touring crazy tours uh through storms and snow and heat and hail and 
and we'd make the gig by the skin of our teeth and, and run up on stage and I'd still be able to perform. And no matter how tired or maybe sick, everybody gets a cold, you know, still able to do it. And then get that adrenaline, you know, from... And the, the band used to go on maybe for two tunes before I would hit the stage. Those were my favorite times because uh, you go from a, a dressing room that has 30 people in it, you know. Back then there was smoking too, and that smoke everywhere, and people bumping into each other, you know, it's chaos, right? And then when it was time to hit the stage, the band would disappear and go, they'd be, and I'd be left alone in the dressing room. Ah, you know, and quiet, and be able to think a little bit, you know, and realize that this is freaking great. This is freaking unbelievable. I'm gonna be on stage in about 10 minutes after they do their opening numbers. They've already warmed the crowd up. People are loving it. And I'm going out there and I'm getting backed by this huge band. Uh, it's, this is fantastic, wow. How did this happen? You know, I'm still doing that today with my band, but it's a you know, different situation. How difficult was it to leave that band? It was just time. It was time, I missed my harmonica. Hmm. It's, it's part of me, it's part of how I speak musically. And you still played with your band at that point, did you or not? The Blue Tones, I mean? No, there wasn't time, no. They were off kind of doing their own things. Mudcat was with Jay Giles at the time, oh, right. Blues okay. Time. Anthony had his own band. Yeah, we were kind of split up for a while. And then when you got back together, was it like old times? Yeah, it took us a little while to get the actual Blue Tones back together. You know, I played with a few different people in the interim for a year or two. Uh, Anthony was living in uh, Burlington, Vermont during that time. So there was a, a, a big space of time where he wasn't around. Right. And when the Blue Tones got back together, we actually rejoined as a four-piece without piano for quite some time. Yeah, which is, I think, the time when I first met him. Yeah. yeah. Well, when he came back into the area, moved. he was out there because his kids were going to school and he wanted to see him through school. He was a good dad. And but he was determined to come back and be around us guys again someday. And he did. He made it happen. And so then we were, I, you know, once again, a five-piece. And the other thing that's a very noticeable when I see you on stage is you and Monster Mike and there is this thing that happens on stage between yeah. the two of you I don't know if you can explain that but it's magical to watch and yeah. every time I see you I just see this connection that yeah. is unlike many other like anything else that I've seen well he's a warm person first of all it's part of the explanation and uh, you know when, when we meet whether I saw him last night or whether I saw him a week ago it's never a handshake, you know, it's always a hug, and a meaningful hug. And that transforms on the stage, too, you know, that transfers to the stage. Uh, there's nothing fake going on here. This is real. He's listening to every, believe me, he's got ears. Uh, he's got musical ears, and he hears everything I sing. If I sing a wrong word, he knows it, you know? It scares me sometimes. He, he's like, I'm, I'm like, man. 
he knows everything, you know, and he, and he listens to every note I play on a harp. You'll notice that he comes over and stands next to me shoulder to shoulder sometimes. And I mean, that's the most noticeable. Physically, it's there. And I remember yeah, when you yeah. first started playing with him, that was apparent. And I just thought, oh, okay, so are they doing that because it's a new thing? And then years later, you're still doing that. And yeah. that <laughs> physical connection then also. Well, part of that is comfort. We're in a comfort zone because, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like if you touch somebody, you get the you get that vibe from them, you know, and it's right. going through him into me, through me into him. It's, it's a wonderful thing. Also, he always tells people, he likes hearing my voice natural, not through the monitor or through the big PA speakers, but from my, my mouth. Right. And when he stands close like that, he can hear me actually singing, which is his favorite way to hear my voice. And he, and he gets uh, inspired to play his guitar even more beautifully when he hears when he hears it that way. No, he's a, he's a I didn't guy. even know that until he explained <laughs> it to me. You know, yeah. well, it makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, physically, I mean, you, you watch the band and you see that connection and that contact. And you know, I saw you, I think, a year ago in New York City. Maybe it was a year, year and a half ago, but it was there, just as it was the first time I saw the two of you together. Yeah. Uh, we had not not many times, but we did a duo. Maybe it's the only time. A couple of years back, we were asked to open up for in a big theater. You know, uh, I'm trying to remember who we opened for, but it was a blues star, maybe Joe Lewis Walker. I think it was something. And uh, it was just two of us. We you know we didn't rehearse or do anything. Just uh, showed up and sat on stools, which is unusual, and, and played more unplugged mm-hmm. singing harp and guitar I thought it was fabulous I mean I was thinking to myself man this is a whole other aspect of of what we could do if we wanted to you know uh, so that's that connection that we have musically works mm-hmm. so you, I think you you just started working on a new album or almost finishing a new album yeah well musically it's finished yeah tell me a little bit about this album it's uh, more of the same and it's, I say that in a good way because what we've been doing lately has been gathering attention so why why not why change course uh, writing a lot of material Chicago blues style but you know modern lyrics lots of harmonica stinging guitar I mean more so than ever and uh, so, of course Anthony on the piano just uh, just getting our point across in a recording, uh, it's called. It's probably going to be called. We haven't even titled it yet. But I wrote a song in the T-Bone Walker vein, and I call it uh, "Seeing Is Believing." And it's a beautiful tune that uh, Mike Welch just goes takes off on. And it's got a little bit of arrangement, and so that's just one of the songs. And another song that uh, I wrote, which I probably will be performing this evening called Keep On Sailing, if there's time permitting. I start to tune off just myself, all by myself, with my band standing behind me, smiling and enjoying it. Just harmonica and vocals, uh, free form blues, uh, real high register harp, sort of like Sonny Boy Williamson thing. And then as I come to the end of one verse, the, the band slowly kicks in. And, and Mike rips into us 112 
guitar solo that'll just melt you. And then I finished the song off. It's pretty. It's a pretty good one. That sounds great. <laughs> you better play it tonight. Yeah. I know we get like we have so much to do in twenty minutes time. Yeah, it's a tough thing. Well, I, you know, thank you. I just met you in the lobby, and I yeah. said, "Would you mind talking to me?" <laughs> and you were kind enough to do yeah. this. And yeah. it's it's always a thrill for me to see you live. It's always a thrill for me to talk to you. I, I thank you again for spending some time with me to yeah. share your life and your music with me. Yeah, you're welcome. I think uh, I think you got some things out of me that uh, I might not have ever said before, and that's that's a good thing. You know, <laughs> well, that's a good thing. It's always a pleasure. So uh, a reporter asked me the other day, you know, you've been doing this a long time. I said, yeah, I have. You, you must be asked the same damn questions over and over again, you know, because they've got a list of, okay, you know, what is it that you want me to ask you that you know you want to talk about? And I said, eh, you may, I don't think you want to hear about my chickens <laughs> and how I scrape the shit off my boots when I come in the house. You know, that, that's the other part of me. But people... so tell me about that. Tell me about, tell me about the chickens. <laughs> tell me about. So what do you do with this chicken? These are chickens that lay eggs, or these are chickens that you? Yeah, yeah, for eggs. For no, no, I, I, I don't enjoy slaughtering things although that's part of life but I, I, I collect the eggs and uh, I enjoy just like the song says you know I, I enjoy the chicken scratching around in the yard you know I got a lot of work to do it takes a lot of work getting chicks to hatch and it's very entertaining <laughs> how many chickens do you have uh, I've, I've had up to like 30 but right now I'm down uh, I have coyotes and foxes and things that uh, hawks come and pick them up and life on the farm as my wife would say and uh, right now I'm down to just a few but I eat my own eggs and there's nothing like it that's the end of that <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much <laughs> I meant to turn this thing off that's alright <laughs> but I thank you very much for, the, for sharing your time with me sure it's always a pleasure my pleasure